and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. I really like that video. I think it's such a a simple presentation, explanation of the gospel. And the word gospel actually is an, an old English word, and it literally means good news. And that's exactly what the gospel is. It's the good news about Jesus, how he's, he's come to rescue mankind, to rescue all of us from our, our brokenness and the hurt. And he's done so by building a bridge to remove that separation that was between us and God, that bridge of redemption, and allowing man to reconnect and be reconciled to God. And what's beautiful is there's nothing stopping man from making that, that step. As we saw in the video, it, it's not about you know whether you smoke weed or whether you struggle with alcohol or anger or failure or shame or, or any other sin, whether it be your sins of your past, the sins you're presently in, or even the sins of the future. None of that can prevent and get in the way of Jesus. And he's, he's rescued and redeemed us. And so the only thing that's preventing us really from making that step is ourselves. And, and the good news is whenever you're ready, God's got open arms waiting for you. And, and he talks about the, the, the party that goes on in heaven every, time, every moment, every time when a sinner comes and decides to, to place their faith in Jesus, to make that step towards redemption. And so that's just such a, a powerful video, I think, that really, I think, captures that, that, uh, that idea of what the gospel is all about. Plus, they speak with Australian accents, and that's always cooler anyways, right? So it's just a, a great video all the way around. But the video actually sets up what we want to talk about this morning, today. So we're kind of in the middle of going through these, these four different roles or four different offices within the church. That Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 as being the gifts of the church or gifts of the church. And we, we kind of said that you know, these, these four roles, they kind of make up the, the puzzle, uh, where each piece, each role is a little bit different, but together the, the, the sum of the parts is greater than the, the parts, or some of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, meaning that you get each of these parts coming together in a powerful way. And so you've got the, 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 uh, the apostle and the prophet and evangelist and the pastor teacher. And we've been talking about those two in, in the past and, and being reminded about how all of it is leading to the equipping of the church. That's really the ultimate goal of all of this, is building up the body of Christ. And, and this morning what we want to do is we want to look at the third of the fourth, gift, fourth gifts, which is the evangelist, or evangelism. Now, how many of you felt a little bit of a shudder or a little bit of guilt or fear the moment I talk about evangelism? Uh, for a lot of people, the topic of evangelism always comes with a heavy dose of, you know, no matter how much you're doing it, you're not doing it enough, and you should be doing it better, and you should be doing it in this way or that way. And, and so there's so much guilt and fear and insecurity and, and pressure that's often attached to evangelism, which really, I think, only serves the one purpose of shutting it down and preventing it from happening. So my hope today is that we're going to be able to discover the freedom and that we get to evangelize. And that, that evangelism is something that we get to do, not something that we're, we're feeling guilty or pressured into. Uh, because the reality is not all of us are evangelists, but we all get to evangelize. So with that, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to, to kind of enlighten our hearts and our minds this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we're, we're so glad to know that within you there's, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, that we are loved by you completely through and through. And, and now what you've done is you're inviting us onto a journey with you. You're inviting us to participate in this, this ministry of reconciliation where we get to, to share the wonderful news, the good news, the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done and how this world can experience freedom and hope, the freedom and hope that you designed us for in the first place. And so I pray that we would, we would be excited and free to share this wonderful good news with others. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we have some famous examples, I think, of evangelists in our day, and Billy Graham's probably being the most famous, and Luis Palau, if, you know, for those in South America, uh, are, are famous evangelists that the world has seen in, in uh, recent times. The Bible names Philip as an evangelist. He's called Philip the Evangelist, and Philip being one of the original seven deacons of the church that were selected in, in the book of Acts. Uh, Timothy would have served as an evangelist, in addition to being an apostle and a pastor teacher. Again, you can serve in multiple roles, as, as we've been discovering. Uh, I think Paul, obviously, was an evangelist based on his messages and his sermons that he would give, and all, I think all the other apostles would have served in this way as well. But what exactly is an evangelist? And, and maybe more importantly, how does it differ from the pastor, the pastor teacher, that we'll look at next time? Well, the evangelist simply means, if you, you kind of break down the word in, in, in the Greek, it simply means the, the bringer of good news, right? Or one who announces glad tidings. That's essentially what an evangelist is doing. And, and I think what we, we not really understand is, is what that role is and how it's a little bit different from being a pastor. So let's start with first understand the good news. Because I think I don't think that good news, the gospel, has been necessarily well understood. I know for me growing up, for the first 20 years I was a Christian, I really had a, a very narrow, um, <clears throat> very unhealthy, I'd say, even understanding of what the gospel was. I only saw the gospel as that, that Jesus came to forgive us as sinners so that maybe one day we can go to heaven. And I say maybe one day because you had to now prove that you were repentant and you had to make sure you followed all the right things and do all the right things and, and avoided all kinds of bad behavior. And, and if, you, if you did it well enough, then maybe you would qualify and prove to God that you were sincere in your faith and you'd get to go to heaven. But one of the things you had to do is you had to make sure you were evangelizing others, that you were sharing your faith with all your friends at school or in the clubs, your hockey teams and so forth. And so what evangelism meant, I mean, you had to share the gospel. The gospel was they had to know that they were miserable, dirty, rotten sinners that were no good and complete failures and that God was you know, willing and he was angry at them, but he was willing to look past that anger if they would run to him and then he could love them. I know it's all a bit confusing. And, and so you think about it, right? You're, you're sitting in your class and, and, and you turn to your friend and, hey, you know, can you help me with my English assignment, you dirty, little, rotten, miserable sinner? I mean, that, that just it didn't feel good, didn't work. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, having that dose of, of condemnation that often is attached to, to evangelism just basically suppresses the whole idea of what evangelism and what the gospel is really supposed to be about. So for me, it took, like I said, it took about 20 years before I began to discover the gospel's way more than that. That, that yes, he came and he died on the cross and, and there was forgiveness of sins, but really it was a means to a greater end. There was, there was so much more to it. And, and, and think about it. I mean, Jesus was trying to convey that to us over and over again. 
In fact, you search the gospels and you won't see Jesus saying, I've come to forgive your sins to bring you to heaven one day. It wasn't his primary goal. Instead, he says, for example, in John chapter 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So the issue of the gospel is it's life and death. That, that we, when we arrive here on planet Earth, we arrive here as prisoners of war. We're, we're under the this, this sentence of death. We're under the sentence of condemnation. And so what do dead people need above all else? They need life. They need life to be given to them. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to set us, the prisoners, free in order to give us life, to give us new life, and really to give us his resurrection life. And that resurrection life is filled with power. So I, I really like how Paul actually kind of put this in the passage that we're working through in Ephesians 4. You probably noticed that we were going through Ephesians 4, we went to, you know, up to verse 6, and then we kind of skipped verse 6, and we jumped straight to verses 11 and 12, and we skipped 7, 8, 9, and 10. And, and I know, you know, people, just raise your hand if you notice, right? I see Craig, he noticed. Uh, Sean, obviously, of course, Sean noticed. Sean always picks up on these things. Fred, I mean, how did you not notice Fred? Anyways, and well, we're gonna we're saving it really for today, right now. So what we want to do is we want to take a look at verses seven, eight, nine, and ten, because in many ways, what Paul's done is he's encapsulated the gospel here. So beginning in verse seven, Paul says, "But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift." Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. All right, that phrase there, just hold it on there, that, that phrase that we've highlighted, he led captive a host of captives. Literally what this verse means is he captured captivity. Isn't that incredible? That basically what he did is that after he died, Jesus goes to hell, and instead of being a prisoner there, Jesus himself captures captivity. He took it over. He won that battle. And so all of those people who had died before, before the cross were captured in, in waiting there, and Jesus comes and he sets them free, and he leads them free to then in verses 9 and 10, where it says that he might fill all things. And so what does Jesus do is he comes and he puts his life inside of all of us. And so as we accept him, as we, as we experience life in him, what he's done is he's given to you and I eternal life, his life. And it's not something you have to wait for one day. It's something we have today, right now. And that's his dream. That's his desire is to fill every one of us with his life right now. And so we have this life. And, and so now what we've done is having this life, we get to overcome everything this world throws at us. And, and so that's my hope. You know, going back to school this week and, and, and with all the protocols and everything's going to be different and, and hopefully it's going to be, I know it's going to be like a, a school year unlike any other and hopefully it's going to be the only time we have to go through this. But no matter what we face, the good news is, is we got Jesus in us is that Jesus is going to be in Marco, and he's going to be in Janice, and he's going to be in Devon. And, and while they're there, and they're, they're trying to you know, figure out what that means, I'm praying that that life, that resurrection life, is going to show up in such a powerful way that they're going to experience Jesus in, in a neat way. Not just 
have to wait till we get to heaven one day, but we get to experience it right now. And that's why I love that video that we started off with so well, because I think they captured that idea that he's, he's come to restore the broken world to experiencing life in Jesus, that we become this new creation. It's way more than just the forgiveness of sins so we can go to heaven one day. And the, the role or the job of that evangelist or the office of evangelist is primarily to share this good news, to share the gospel with those who yet don't yet have this life. And, and, and so that's what they're looking to, is they're looking for and, and loving to be around those people who are trapped in death so they can offer life to them and they can experience freedom. Now, looking at those four offices, I'm, I'm, I recognize that I'm not an evangelist, right? In studying these roles and seeing what they're like, I, I can recognize the role as an apostle, you know, creating and building a culture and building a community. I can see that with, with what, what I've been doing in, in various forms of ministry. I can recognize the role of a prophet where I'm called to come alongside people to, to exhort and to encourage and to comfort, especially in that role as a counselor. I, I can recognize that. I, I see the role of pastor teacher that we're about to look at next time. So I can see I serve in all those three roles, but the one role I don't, I don't see myself in is in the role of evangelist. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I, I don't evangelize at all. Again, whether you have that role or not, we're all called to do it in some form to some degree. And I've had the privilege of, of leading people to Jesus. I've had people come to my office for counseling, and, and we discover early on that they're not yet saved. And so we start right there, right from the get-go, and have them accept Jesus. And, and it's been cool and exciting. And, and again, remember, every time someone, someone receives the gospel, a party is thrown in heaven. And so that happens, but it's not the area that I'm primarily called to. In fact, I kind of joke that really the evangelism I do is more towards Christians. <laughs> I share the gospel with those who've already received the gospel because they don't yet know how wonderful and how cool it is. They, they really have no idea of, of the, the power and the life and the righteousness that is theirs, the acceptance that comes with their union with Jesus on the cross because they don't know that they were there as well and that, that they're in Jesus and Jesus is in them and the significance and the power of that. And so I get to evangelize and share the good news with, the, with, with Christians, but I don't do that a lot with unbelievers. So what I've done instead is I've, I've invited my friend, Murph Bauman, because he has, he's got the mindset of evangelists. He is wired that way. And so I invited Murph to come, and he's going he's, he's gonna, to record an interview we're going to play for us now where he's going to get to share with us a little bit of the mindset of what an evangelist is like. Now, if you don't know Murph, Murph Bauman is the, one of the pastors at Laurel Road Christian Fellowship. That's our sister church. And uh, he, he's so, so wired as an evangelist. What he's done is he was serving as a youth, primarily as a youth pastor there. And he grew the youth ministry to just a, a, a little more than a handful or less, up to well over 100 kids. And it wasn't just because, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people are having babies in the church at that time. He's got people from outside the church joining the youth ministry. And, and he was able to do that because he's gone out and he's reached out into the community. In fact, he's done such a great job, the, the high school, the, the principal of the local high school, the public high school, invited Murph to come and just hang out with the students after there was a rash of suicides. Now think about it. I mean, how many times have you hear of, of principals of public schools inviting the local pastor to come and just hang out with their kids? But that's what Murph did, and he won the trust, he earned the right to do so, and he was able to just kind of wander the halls and just sit with the kids during lunch 
And so he's got such a great heart. And so again, I invited him to kind of share, <clears throat> share with us what makes an evangelist tip, uh, tick. So Ian, play the tape. Well, to me, um, evangelism to me, if you don't have evangelism incorporated into the body of Christ, I think you're missing out on the, one of the main things of being a Christian, uh, simply because of the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptize them. Um, for me, as an evangelist, when I, when I look at the life of Christ, you know, depending on your gifting, I think you'll interpret his life differently. But for me, my main thing about Jesus is that he left heaven to come and save the lost. And to me, if, if, I feel like if, if that's the only reason why he came, like he didn't come for the healthy, he didn't come for those of us who were already in faith, he came for those who were lost. And if we as believers kind of walk around that and don't engage in evangelism and sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know the gospel, then are we really being Jesus to people? Um, yeah, discipleship is important because he said make disciples. But I think sometimes the church, we get, um, if we get inward focused and we, we aren't aware of those around us that are not yet Christians, we become stagnant because it's part of being a Christian. It's part of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Jesus is in us and he wants to live his life through us. And that to me is a huge part of the character of God is to, to save that which was lost and to bring life to those don't, who don't have life. And so I think it, for me, of course, that's at the forefront because I'm an evangelist and motivated by that. But uh, as a church body, if that's not happening, then there's gonna come a time when you just kind of get stagnant and comfortable. And then of course, I think the, the religious side seeps in and you become just a, a church that functions for itself rather than for the lost. So that's a big deal for me. Well, I think when I was probably 12 or 13, I wouldn't probably have put it in the bracket of an evangelist necessarily, but uh, I read a couple of books. One was Brother Andrew and the other one was Bruchko, which a uh, story about Bruce Olson. They were both kind of missionaries and reading their story just stirred in me this desire to, to be a missionary, to be a person that goes into the world and shares the gospel with people. And so I would say that's where that desire, that passion started. And then of course, as you study the scriptures and as you understand your giftings, yeah, everything around what I was wired with um, pointed me towards sharing the gospel with people who hadn't heard the gospel, talking to people who had never heard about Jesus, talking to them about Jesus. And so that came at a pretty young age, this passion to do that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of very early on. And then throughout my teenage years, just my tendency was to hang out with the unbeliever and share my faith and talk to people about Jesus came really naturally for me. It didn't, wasn't forced, it wasn't uh, awkward. It was just kind of something that I did naturally in, in my friendships. So, yeah. Looking at the world through and the eyes of an evangelist, I think from me, it's my passion is to see people who haven't heard about Jesus to let them know about Jesus, right? And so some of the things, for example, um, I, play, I played hockey and 
through those years, you know, sitting in the dressing room, you often sit beside the same guy and having a relationship with somebody. So I look at that friendship, not necessarily through the eyes of just a friendship, but a desire to reach him with the good news, with the word of God, with the gospel. And so everything is motivated around that. Um, and then when it comes to church, I think when I look at church, if there isn't a baptism, if people aren't coming to faith, then I get restless. I, I find that I find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in seeing people who are not Christians become Christians. And so, yeah, when you have that in you, it just kind of impacts everything you do around the Christian faith and religion. And so, uh, that's kind of my experience. At least I see the world from an eternal perspective. I look at a person and I say, I wonder if they're going to heaven. And I don't look at them and say, how, how mature are they as a Christian? I look at them, are they walking with Jesus? Do they understand the truth? Do they understand the grace message? Do they understand the gift of eternal life? And so that kind of drives me in most of my relationships. So yeah. Yeah, so common obstacles, I think, looking back over my experience, uh, one major one would be that as an evangelist, you can become overriding, kind of like uh, overbearing in a relationship where you are so focused on reaching them for Jesus that you shove the gospel down their throat and learning to build friendships not based on sharing the, the message, but because they're people and they need friends and you want friends. And so I think one of the things that people who are heavily wired on the evangelism side as an evangelist, they can actually become friends with people in order to reach them. And if there's no interest or if there's pushback, they might not be friends with that person. And so I think part of the growth in my relationship with, with Jesus and with people is that that becomes a, a part of the relationship, not the central part of the relationship. And so I don't build a friendship in order to share the gospel. I build a friendship because I'm building a friendship. And so then if they receive the gospel or not, I'm still their friend. And I think that it didn't take a lot, a long time for me to figure that out, but there's definitely in the early stages and also being a missionary the opportunity to to meet people and share the gospel and then not know them and not meet them again was often there so it maybe wasn't as prevalent initially but as I moved overseas and began to live in the community I recognized that no I need to build relationships and friendships not based on do they receive my message or not but just because I want to be your friend and so that was a learning curve for me. So another obstacle I think that um, I've dealt with over the years is as an evangelist, being frustrated with church. Um, simply because, so my, my thing is people ask me if I'm religious and I, would, I always respond, I hate religion. And I respond that way because it throws them off, but also because I actually do hate religion in a sense where for me, religion is this idea that we, we gather together as a group of people and we fit in to this, this church, we'll say, 
Um, but if you don't live a certain way, then you don't fit into that group. And so you have a standard of what it is to be accepted. And for me as an evangelist, I think it's when that becomes part of a church, I get really frustrated. And so my relationships with Christians, I have to be careful that I'm not frustrated with Christians who are complacent or maybe not interested in reaching out and are focused on the comfort of their Christian life and being in the safety of church and, you know, like, I'm not against Christian school at all, but I don't, I wouldn't actually lean towards sending my kids to a Christian school simply because I want my kids to reach out to the community. And if I have a relationship with the parents of the kids that are friends with my kids, it's an opportunity to reach out to the community in a way that's natural. And so church can be an obstacle for an evangelist simply because of how churches tend to operate. And my heart is not forefront discipleship, it's reaching out. And so getting caught up in the politics or in the mechanism of a large body of believers and getting all the energy and stuff goes into that, it doesn't bring me joy and fulfillment. So that can be an obstacle. Yeah, so some stories that kind of stick out to me over the years. I mean, there's tons. I was overseas for 10 years. We took missionary teams all over Europe and South America. And so there's just tons of stories. I think the highlights for me looking back are the, the times we did street evangelism. Um, so our organization did a lot of sports ministry. And then we also combined youth or uh, music and drama and dance so we had this performing arts hour program that we would do on the street during the day. And I just remember those times, you know, crowds of people would come to watch the program. And so we would set up kind of a schedule where we would have a drama, a song, and then a, a short gospel message. And then in the meantime, while all that is happening, our athletes would be talking with people in, in the crowd and just sharing gospel. And we'd have these tracts in all the languages that we were traveling in. And so you could read the gospel in English and they could read it in their own language and you can communicate that way. And so it was very effective in bringing people to Jesus. And so that, those, those were highlights for me. Street ministry, preaching on a street corner and uh, the intensity, the, the fun that you could have with people. Um, yeah, so I remember one afternoon we went into Salzburg, Austria, and me and a buddy of mine, we walked up, you know, you walk and you pray, and we had this, I had this nudge to walk up to these two guys, and uh, they were standing by a fountain, and I just vividly remember walking up, and normally you introduce yourself and you ask them if they believe in God and if they want to talk about faith, but in this this instance, I just felt this nudge to just directly ask them if they wanted to pray to become Jesus followers. And it felt awkward in a sense because there was no lead up conversation, but both of them just looked at me and my buddy and they said, yeah, we'd love that. And so we ended up praying with them and they became Christians and off we went. We chatted with them for a while, but we were in Austria as, you know, I was Canadian, my buddy was a Swede and they were from Germany. So I have no idea what happened to them. But the cool thing was is that you learn how to, you know, kind of respond to what the Holy Spirit is leading you into. And that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, so I guess 
you know, a church plant, I think, is, you know, you guys are amazing uh, doing a church plant. It's a lot of work. It's uh, stepping out in faith. And uh, I think, okay, so again, it's my, my evangelist gift that comes forth. But I think, I think a big part of being a church plant is, is setting a culture and setting a kind of a vision forward for the long haul that to be a church that is going to be reaching the community and it's not up to the pastor it's not up to ross and the leadership team to reach people no it's each individual believer in that body has an opportunity in one way or another the people you work with the people you you know your kids go to school with the parents there it's you know if you play sports you're hanging out with non-christians um all of those things in our kind of our identity and who we are is that we are followers of Jesus, not just to gather together and to be safe and secure in our little body of believers, but we're gathering together on a, you know, normally would be on a Sunday, but you know, you get together to be encouraged and you get fired up and it's like this pep talk. And, but then church actually happens Monday to Friday and, and you are the church. I'm the church. And where we go, God is with us. And where we are, God is there. And so how does that kind of idea, that vision, that heartbeat of God, that Father wants you to be his representative, his ambassador, to those who are, are not yet walking with him? And I think I just encourage you as a body of believers to continue to bring that forward to the forefront because it's easily lost. And we get busy, we get comfortable. So my encouragement to you is just to, to constantly put it in your, in your meeting notes every year when you talk about what's the next year look like. Let that be one of your lines. How are we doing in reaching the community around us? What's the impact? If we weren't here today and we're gone, would the community even know we were here? Would they miss us when we're gone? And I think that's a question that we as a church have asked many times, and I actually wonder how much would we be missed if we weren't there? And so we're working on it, trying to be more of a community-centered folk, um, a church as well, just to, to recognize that God loves those who are not yet in your church, and he wants to bring them. It's like this family that's not home, and uh, he wants to use you to bring them home. And so keep that at the forefront. But uh, good job, guys, for stepping out and taking that step of faith and yeah, we're just praying that he continues to bring growth and maturity and passion to your uh, body. I hope you enjoyed that and found that that enlightening. I uh, I love Murph. I'm so proud of him and have so much respect for him. And he's such a blessing to to our our friends at Aloha Road. And so I really appreciate he took the time to to share that with us. And that was actually only part of the interview with him. We're going to post the whole interview for you to watch that on, uh, we'll post it on Facebook and on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, and he's, he goes into more stories about, you know, his time overseas and actually how he might share the gospel if you're interested as a, as kind of a way to kind of see how he does it. <clears throat> but one of the things that I really like that he did is he touched on how easy it is for him as an evangelist to get disgruntled or frustrated with the church, especially if he feels that the church is becoming too complacent, too, too inward focused, and how he can come at odds with the, the rest of the church leadership, always kind of feeling like the, the church is, is not doing enough for the lost. He's not, they're not concerned about those who are not that year, not that yet there. They're only concerned about the people in the building. And 
And I think the reason for that that conflict that goes on between often evangelists and other church leaders, really at the risk of oversimplifying things, would be this: is that the evangelists they're primarily the outward reach uh, outward reaching arm of the of the church. I mean, they're focused on those who are not yet part of the church, and and that's who they're serving those beyond the church. Whereas the rest of the church leaders, the apostles, the prophets. And the pastor teacher, their primary fo- concern or focus with the people who already are part of the church. And, and their focus there is trying to grow and mature those who've already ex- accepted Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that evangelists don't, don't minister to anyone inside the church, just like the, the pastors and, and the prophets don't minister to those who are outside the church. Again, there, there's an oversimplification in that. But I think we have to understand that there are two different callings with two different groups and, and being willing to respect those callings, respect those differences. And, and I think if you don't, then what happens is you become frustrated with one another. Again, evangelists are frustrated with pastors because they're not spending time and money and effort with unbelievers. And pastors get frustrated with evangelists feeling like they're always being pushed into something and, and to push something maybe on friends and family that they don't necessarily fear, feel sincere on. And, and the reality is rather than being at odds with one another, what they should do is they should become to see how one supports the other, how they can come together and again, uh, fit together and produce something far greater than, than they can themselves. I want to tell you a story of a friend of mine. <clears throat> I, w- I was meeting with him and, and uh, he was getting ready to become a missionary overseas. And in the meantime of preparing for that, he is working on campus at a local university where he would meet with university students or international students, sorry. So students would come all over from the world and they had come for 10, 11 weeks and he would, he would get to know them and meet with them. And then hopefully in that time would share the gospel with them. Now, my friend, he's very much wired as a pastor, meaning he cares about relationships and cares about how people are, are feeling. And <clears throat> he wants people to know that they're not a project, that, that it isn't just about sharing the gospel. He wants to know that he genuinely loves them and cares about them. And so he was always hesitant to wanting to share the gospel with them too soon. Well, he had a co-worker of his where, where she was very much wired as an evangelist. And for her, it was all about how do we share the gospel as quickly as we can, as many times as we can to get this person saved. And so there was this conflict going on between them because he felt, well, she was she was rushing it and she wasn't building the relationship, wasn't earning the trust. And, and so they're just going back and forth. And I was able to share with my friend of how really what they need to do is they need to work together and not against each other. That that he needed to trust her instinct as an evangelist because that's her role. She's, she's ministering and sharing the gospel with these people. And what his role then is really more to come alongside those who have received the gospel and, and really be able to see how they kind of work together in that way. I, I liked how one commentator put it. One commentator kind of likened the evangelist and the pastor teacher to sort of like the, the midwife and the family doctor. Right, you think about the the midwife or maybe the the OB. Uh, you know, they're there to deliver the child, and they're there at the birth of that child. And then once that child is born, what they do is they hand the child over essentially to the family doctor, the pediatrician, to look after that child now as that child grows up. In a similar way, the evangelist they're there for when that that person's born again. They're helping making that happen. They're helping make bring it to pass. And then when they're done, they get to hand that person over now to the pastor teacher, to the apostle, to the prophets, to the other church leaders, so they can help them grow and mature. And what's beautiful about that is it frees that evangelist up to go back 
and now meet with new people and share the gospel with new people. And, and so that's why they're spending so much of their time outside of the church in that way. And, and this, by the way, is why evangelists often make poor pastors because that's not their passion. Their passion are not those who are saved. Those who are not yet saved is their passion. And so some of the complaints that guys like Billy Graham and Louis Pau would often get is that when they would come and they would hold these crusades or these major campaigns in cities is that, well, th then they would come and they'd leave and that they, they weren't really doing great discipleship, that, that people were getting lost right after the, that you know, big event. And, and the reality is that wasn't their focus. Their focus wasn't the ongoing discipleship. Their focus was, was really and should have been directly on just bringing that person to salvation introducing them to the local churches so that they could then kind of, like a marathon or, or a relay race, pass the baton on and then keep on running. Think about the story of, of Philip the Evangelist, right? We, we see this story in, in Acts chapter 8 where, where Philip is called by God to leave Jerusalem and walk out of Jerusalem on this road towards Gaza where he comes across this, this Ethiopian, this man who is uh, well up in the, in the royal court and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And, and Philip just hears it and he says, hey, do you know what that means? And the Ethiopian says, well, how can I know if no one's going to explain it to me? And so he begins to explain who the lamb was, and it was Jesus, and, and all the other prophets, and the story of Jesus. And the Ethiopians hears this, and he's all excited. He says, well, I want Jesus. I want to get baptized. And so they found some water right there. No baptismal classes, nothing else. It just said, you're baptized. And then immediately, Philip's gone. He fulfilled his role as the evangelist. He went on and met new people so he could share the gospel with those people. And, and so that's really, that's it. That's the role of evangelists, sharing the gospel with as many people as they can. And, and hopefully you're beginning to see the critical role that they play within the kingdom of God, especially today. The world is growing darker. And, and I really do believe that not only are we one day closer to Jesus' return because, well, we're actually one day closer for sure, but, but I do think it's imminent. I do think it's that what we're experiencing is laying the groundwork for what will come at the end. That is not yet the end. That, that means the worst is yet to come in many ways, that it will grow darker. People's hearts will grow colder, but this is set in the stage for it, which means time is running short on sharing the gospel with people. And, and we, need to be, we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be aware of that. And there are so many ways to share the gospel with people. So I want to just talk about some of the different styles out there. And, and, and maybe the most common style that we're familiar with is what we might call friendship evangelism, where, where sometimes it's referred to as oikos evangelism or oikos. Oikos is, is the Greek word for household. And basically what it's talking about is how, and it's probably the best form of evangelism, where you're reaching out to people who you already know, those who are in your sphere of influence. In your household, your family directly, your, your spouse, your kids, if they're not saved, or, or maybe your extended family, or maybe your coworkers or the students or your, the friends you hang out with, or just the people in your neighborhood, on your block. These are the people that, that you can begin to share the gospel with because you've already developed a relationship. You've already developed a trust. You can begin to share that with them. And, and within that, there's various tools. So example, those three circles, that the video that we saw at the beginning, that is basically a tool. 
to help explain the gospel to someone about how God had this perfect world, but because of sin, we're all in this broken world. And no matter how much we try, we can't escape it. And so, but Jesus has come and he's redeemed this, redeemed us or made it possible for redemption. And he's bridged that gap. All we need to do now is turn to him, to trust Jesus, to believe in him as our savior and God will make his new creation. Real simple presentation. And so maybe you present it that way in, in a more of a theological way. Or maybe what you do is you just kind of present it in a way that what has Jesus meant to you? How has, how has Jesus changed you in your life? And so there can be a personal sharing aspect to it. Um, and, and again, you, you just talk about how the, the, the peace and the hope that's come with your faith in Jesus. Or there's programs like Alpha. Maybe you've heard of Alpha where it's a study that you can do. And you, again, you invite some friends and family to your house and you share a meal together. And then you, you watch a video and then have a, a group discussion on the video. And, and what they do is each week they cover some key questions or topics to get them thinking about salvation and about God that eventually leads them to making that decision to trust Jesus as their Savior or not. And so that might be something you can do. You go knocking on people's doors and handing out tracts. I mean, that's what the Jehovah Witnesses do and the Mormons do. And, and, and I don't know if it's the, the most successful way of doing it because it's very much cold calling. But for some, especially those who are evangelists who feel comfortable doing it, they can do that. Um, a quick note, I once had some Mormons come to my house and try to, to you know, convert me that way. I say once because I turned it around on them and tried to talk to them about who Jesus really is and, and they didn't come to my house anymore after that. So, but hey, work, to, work the other way around, right? So maybe what you can do is when CRA calls and you know tells you and warns you that the police are coming unless you send them iTunes gift cards, uh, maybe you could share the gospel with them. Uh, I did that this week, actually. A uh, guy called me and I said, oh, you know, how can I help you? He says, I goes, I love to talk to you about Jesus. He hung up on me. But um, anyways... Uh, street preaching, maybe, as we saw, you know, again, in those three videos, and, and Murph talks about that. Uh, again, I'm not sure how effective it would be. And again, if you're an evangelist, it's what you're naturally going to do. Um, but if you're not an evangelist, you're probably going to find it very awkward. And, and again, in this, in this uh, world and environment, it may not be as well received. Where Murph was in, in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, it was very well received, I think, in the Ukraine, because the Iron Curtain had just fallen, and people were hungry and ready for it. Uh, for a long time, churches would host plays like Easter pageants or, or Christmas plays, or maybe they have a, a group that would come and do a, a particular play on the gospel you can invite friends to. And some were, were, were less good than others. There was one play in particular that was basically just trying to scare people out, uh, out of hell, which wasn't necessarily scaring them into heaven or any kind of relationship with God. It was just more of a, a nightmare play. But then there's others that I know of uh, my friend John Lynch would do that, where they would have plays that would, would often have a gospel focus to them, and people would, would come to faith that way. Or the old time and tested one of, of bringing someone to church. And, and I've never, I don't really think that's the, the most effective way, because basically the idea is like, I'm going to bring someone to church so the pastor gets them saved. And, and the reality is Sunday mornings, when we're gathering together, is primarily aimed at the church. It's, it's As that role of pastor teacher, it's ministering to those who've already accepted Jesus. And the reason for that is to equip you guys, to equip us as the church to go and then be the church. And so we, we don't need to bring someone to church necessarily to get them saved. We can share the gospel at any point in time with them. 
Now, that being said, if God asks you to invite a non-believer to church, go for it. Nothing wrong with that. It gets them a sense to learn over time a little bit of, of what this faith is all about, who Jesus is all about, and hopefully they can begin to eventually make that choice to accept Jesus and experience the, the salvation and the glory and the freedom that comes with that. Now, again, all kinds of different styles, and there's way more than I just even mentioned there. I just wanted to give you a bit of a flavor for that, but but when I, when I look at new life, I can, I can recognize who the apostles are, and I, I can recognize who the prophets, those, those Christ-centered counselors. I can recognize who the, the pastor teachers are that we'll talk about next time. But, but I don't know who the evangelists are. And, and ever since our first conversations, when we started talking about planting new life as a church, we were talking about evangelists, that, that we wanted to grow a church but not just by having other people from other churches join us, although that's going to happen and that's okay. We more we wanted to have people within the community who don't yet know Jesus come and join us, which meant we would need evangelists. And, and I, I don't know who those people are yet at New Life. So if you're watching and, and you're, you're listening to this and, and, and you're thinking, you know what? I can relate to that. I'm the kind of person that doesn't wait for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm looking for opportunities. I'm creating those opportunities. If, if you watch that interview with Murph and you're like, finally, somebody gets it. Somebody has this passion. Someone cares about the lost. I can relate with that guy, not the guy with the man bun, but I can relate with the bald guy. If, if that's the case, then that's how you're wired. You're wired to be an evangelist. You're wired to be a bringer of good news. And, and please raise your hand. Please let us know. Send me an email. Phone me. Text me. Carrier pigeon. Whatever you need to do to get my attention because we want to support you. We want to, to come alongside you and empower you to fulfill that desire, fulfill that calling. Because again, you play such a critical role. And right now, I would say, we're, we're missing an evangelist, much like the, the Leafs are missing any kind of on, on defense. I mean, really, they just, it's, it's pitiful. So we need the evangelist is basically what I'm trying to say here. Now, that being said, just because you're not an evangelist doesn't mean we're not going to be called to share the gospel with someone, right? The office of evangelist is different than evangelism, much like the office of the pastor teacher is different than teaching. We all get the opportunities to share that. Peter would talk about that, right? About in 1 Peter 3.15, that we're all meant to have be prepared to, to give a defense of the gospel. And again, it doesn't have to be a theological presentation like those three circles. Maybe what it can be is, is just sharing again what Jesus has meant to you, how, how you felt lost and broken. But when you came to faith that, that yeah, not everything was immediately right and perfect and, and there are still struggles, but you found more peace. And you found more hope, and you found more patience, and that's what allows you to get through. And so again, I think about our teachers going back to school, and as they're meeting with other teachers, and those all those teachers are struggling, and everyone's complaining, and it's okay to complain because it's just a chance to vent and release. Maybe, maybe God will present some opportunities for you to kind of put your hand on their shoulder and say, I hear you. You know, the only thing that's getting me through is Jesus right now. And maybe you'll have an opportunity to share your faith. And whether you be a teacher or, or maybe you're, you're a factory worker or you're a stay-at-home mom and you're sitting at parks with, with other moms or you're a stay-at-home dad and, and, or whatever your role is, maybe you'll find an opportunity to share the gospel with other people. And who knows what will happen. I'll tell you what, those moments when it's happened, it's just such a joy, such a thrill to know that that person's life 
has been forever altered. That person's eternity has changed in a moment, and you had the privilege of witnessing and being a part of it. Incredibly cool, incredibly exciting. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for how you've made the good news possible that we can be redeemed and restored to you and we could experience life and, and freedom in this thing called salvation in you. And, and I pray, Father, that, that you would provide opportunities for us and that we'd be willing to, to, to not wait for that perfect moment because there is no such thing as that perfect moment, but we would trust you and, and be willing to, to even look for them and then step out in faith and just share you and share what you've done in our lives and our hearts and how you transformed us and that they would be encouraged by that, and that they would be willing to receive that freedom as well. And knowing, Father, that you're preparing their hearts before that as well. And so thank you that we get to just be a part of what you're doing. And Father, for those evangelists in particular, those people who you've called for this role, Father, we pray that you would either raise up the evangelists within our body, uh, within New Life Fellowship, or send people to join New Life Fellowship. And, and let us empower them, encourage them, because we really want to see this, is, this message of your life, your grace, the new covenant, just run rampant through, through this area of Kitchener-Waterloo and, and Cambridge and Guelph and really Southern Ontario or really the whole world, because the, the time is running short and we want to see as many people as possible come to faith in you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.